often the worst part of the journey is the end. So remember all the good times along the way. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's got it to Max Verstappen. And under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. Good times that aren't Abu Dhabi. I'm talking about the season no. chat, the entire season. Abu no. Dhabi is but a, a horrible moat to end, but there's been, there's been good times. Good times, man. There has been. Yeah. And we'll cover those in our special episode coming shortly. Yeah. Uh, an excellent <laughs> plug, an excellent plug. Indeed we shall. Yeah. F1 in That's review really. awards. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. they'll, be so, they'll, they'll be devastated and delighted when the, the drivers <laughs> themselves find out what awards they've won in the F1 in review awards. <laughs> They've been waiting their entire like, than entire year for this. Okay, <laughs> the, the, come on, the real go. championship, I'm right? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Sunday's race saw a ton of events in terms of the constructors' championship. We spoke um, last episode about the fact that racing points were in third place, and we believe were likely, indeed, pole position to secure that third place. However, as we said, anything could happen. All things could change and indeed they did after Sergio Perez's car decided to pack up and stop as well as Lance Stroll only finishing in 10th despite qualifying in 8th and the McLaren boys of Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz finishing in 5th and 6th um, McLaren were able to leapfrog racing points and finish in third place by just seven points. So what do we think about this McLaren getting third place after the woeful years at the back with the Honda engine uh, when they had that sort of black and uh, red car and Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button driving them. Things weren't great, but, um, but now the good times are rolling. We know that more investment's coming for the team and third place will only mean more money for the team moving forward. So what are our thoughts on the fact that McLaren have been able to nick it at the death? I love the fact that you, you included me in that we thought that Racing Point was going to get it. I think you're fine if you, if you listen back, Tom. I mm. said... I thought that as long as Racing Point didn't lose a car, that they would probably have it. And, well, my predictions all came true, right? So uh, Racing Point lost a car and then they did everything they needed to to get third place. And as a McLaren fanboy, I am over the moon. Yeah, go McLaren. It's so good to see them on the on the podium. I witnessed them live as their car I can only describe as farted its way around the track because the engine was so horrendously, like, obnoxiously loud and sort of farty in its sound. Um, most of the other cars, the Mercedes, had a beautiful exhaust note. And it would go past and then do a little... And then the Honda, that Honda engine would come past and it would go... So um, they were literally farting their way around the track and it was awful. It was so bad. Um, so it's, it's really nice to see them sort of pick themselves up. And it, it also McLaren looks like such a family when they celebrate together and just watching them over the moon. I'm a little bit sad that Carlos Sainz is leaving. Of course, Ricardo's joining them next year. I think he will be great for the team when they've got uh, Mercedes engines. So back to McLaren Mercedes. Everyone who said that that would never happen again, I'd like to uh, point you towards the 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 news and uh, tell you to not make any more predictions because you're wrong, wrong, wrong. So yeah, I'm I'm so happy that Racing Point didn't get third. I know it, it sounds a bit mean. But to be honest, I don't think they deserved it as much as McLaren because McLaren didn't just copy another team to get the points. So yeah, big sadness for um, for Perez for, for 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 his car breaking down with boredom. But I think it was all well that ends well with McLaren getting the position that they've so deserved for so many years. 
I, I, I too am a McLaren fan. And so obviously I was absolutely delighted. I think the, the key for them, uh, which none of, well, I'm going to say none of us saw coming, Tristan did. What I personally felt like I didn't think about was the fact that they're so, they're just so consistent. Racing Point have had these big highs and they've, but they've also had big, big lows. And when you think back, there's been so many issues. Um, and maybe that does come from, as you mentioned, Tristan, you know, a design of another car from a previous year and, you know, not quite having it perfect. I don't know. But McLaren was so consistent. They didn't get, you know, those big, as many of those big moments, but they were, they, there's only about eight points between the two drivers, I think, which shows that both cars continue to perform well. Whereas there was, I think there's massive gaps between the two, um, between Perez and Stroll, for example, because their two cars were just letting, it, letting themselves down. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. And I think, I, although I predict a record point, this is the, the result I really wanted. I think it's also great for Ricardo because I remember quite a while back um, we were discussing whether Ricardo had made this big mistake because it seemed as if Renault were going to beat McLaren in the championship. And you know what, what's he done? He's mo- he's moving from a progressively better team to one that you know is is performing averagely, sort of thing. But here we are, and they've certainly proved us wrong. And as you say, I think with Ricardo. And then a Mercedes engine. I, I honestly can't wait to see that. Ricardo has a special talent for, you know, for, for on track. He's, his overtaking is incredible. And just generally, he's a very talented person. And I think putting him in a car that is going to be quicker is always like, that's obviously want to do what you want to do with someone like him. And obviously, Lando Norris has been showing so much that despite, compared to other drivers, his lack of experience, he's like a very sensible and intelligent driver that makes like good decisions on track. So, I'm so passing for next year as a McLaren fan and yeah, congratulations to them. They seem like a great bunch of people, as you mentioned, a great team full of like good friends and um, shame for Racing Point. But as you said, I'm not devastated for them. There was a, there was a comment, I was watching the p- post-race show on F1's YouTube channel and Sergio Perez, um, obviously in his last race for Racing Point, um, made a comment, which is very interesting. He said, congratulations to McLaren. Um, they've benefited from having two really strong drivers in their team. Um, definitely not a sly dig at um, Lance Stroll or his dad or anyone like that. But um, but to be fair, he has a point. McLaren have had got two drivers who the fact that whilst Perez has finished fourth in the championship, even though Science and Norris finished sixth and ninth, there's only eight points separating Science and Norris. Whilst Lance Stroll finished down eleventh, quite a way back from either of those three drivers. So at the end of the day, McLaren's consistency has paid off. Um, I've got to say, of the predictions we made, I predicted Renault to get this third place. I'm also I'm also guilty of a wrong prediction. But um, at the end of the day, McLaren, despite not necessarily having the third fastest car, I mean, we know Racing Points had a pace advantage pretty much all year, whether or not they, or to what extent they copied the Mercedes from last year, um, there was a pace advantage there. Renault as well, um, there was definitely a pace advantage at multiple points um, across the year. So if McLaren to get that third place, I think it's a fantastic achievement. And also, like like you guys have said, the the, the transformation from the Honda days, um, when they were trundling around the back, struggling to pick up any points at all. Admittedly, they've got a better engine this time, the Renault. Um, but still, the, the car development has clearly improved as well. And I can only see good things from McLaren. Um, I think, as whilst Carlos Sainz is a fantastic driver, and him going to Ferrari next year, or being considered by Ferrari to be in that drive shows his his pedigree. I think Daniel Ricciardo is an upgrade. We've got to be, we've got to be honest there. Daniel Ricciardo, multiple race winner. You've seen he's been able to wring the neck of that Renault this year, um, even though d- despite being a fast car, it's still a midfield car. So I think they're upgrading a driver, like Tristan said, they're upgrading an engine to get that Mercedes engine. I'm not saying they're going to close the gaps with Mercedes and Red Bull overnight. But I think they got it will give them a very nice platform. You'd think going into the twenty twenty two the new regulations. Um, so yeah, only good signs for McLaren. Lando Norris, of course. Lest we forget, he's only just finished his second year in Formula One. It feels like he's been there for years. He's already a very mature, um, very consistent driver who's also got that flash of raw speed. Um, so yeah, I if I was a McLaren fan, I, I guess I am a McLaren fan. You know, a, a little bit, not as much as you guys, but a little bit as well. Um, but um, I'd be buzzing, to be honest. It looks like the good times are here right now, and there are definitely more good times ahead. I'm getting kind of, with with McLaren, I'm kind of getting Red Bull 2.0 vibes. Apart from Red Bull went with Renault, and McLaren is now going with Mercedes. And 
we know that Red um, Daniel Ricardo is incredibly good at doing things like braking late and, as you say, Angus, extracting most about the, out the car. And I feel like a bit like McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo has made some say, dubious choices with his career. Um, and he's been, although he's in, in that Renault, the Renault's been fine. And, and sorry, I don't mean to just go on a little bit of a divergent here. It's really nice to see Renault and Daniel Ricciardo parting on good terms. I always respect it when drivers and teams get to do that. And that makes me happy. It's a bit like when um, Sebastian Vettel was singing to Ferrari on his last race. If you didn't hear that, that's just really funny. Um, but anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll divert back onto my original thought, uh, which was that, yeah, I think I really hope that Ricardo has some massive successes in uh, McLaren. I think often we write him off as being a possible world champion. Um, and I think if if Mercedes weren't so amazing, we I could actually see him easily taking on Max Verstappen, just like he did in Red Bull. And he, he definitely is of that sort of quality. So I wish him the absolute best, you know, driving for my favourite team. Not that I let my own personal prejudices enter into this podcast, but... I, I, I think he's going to do really well. Yeah, I mean, I'll be the first one to say regarding Daniel Ricciardo, when he joined Renault and when it was uh, unveiled that he had the biggest salary in F1, I thought to myself, is it really about the racing or is it about, is it more about the money um, than the actual car you're going to be having? Because it was clear that the Renault car was never going to be competing for championship wins or the Constructors' Championship. But, um, but yes, him and Ocon have done a good job this year regarding Renault. And moving forwards... We say about the Mercedes engine going to McLaren, we're also hearing there's a new investment from MSP Sports Capital of £185 million to McLaren Racing. Um, And you've got a very mature team um, behind him. No disrespect to Racing Point or soon to be Aston Martin, but the fact that they basically copied large chunks of that Mercedes car proved to me that it was only ever going to be a, a sort of a short-term solution and they were very much a sort of copycat team in, in that regard and weren't able to independently um, create a, a car that could finish third or fourth. So in many regards, I'm happy to see McLaren um, getting third. But with all those sort of stars aligning and all those positives moving forwards, as you say, Tristan, I, I'm thinking to myself with the rules coming in, the rule changes in 2022 it could be distinctly possible that we could see Daniel Ricciardo racing for a race win on merit for the first time in five, six years, which is incredibly exciting because we know he's incredibly talented. We know if he's given the tools to, to finish the job and he has an engine which doesn't pack up, he can do a great job. Um, so I suppose come 2022 and beyond, we'll really see, is he able to win a world championship is he of that quality can he do it if given the chance very exciting Liv you're a massive Lando Norris fan where where, where do you see him in this future McLaren where do I see him I obviously I do see him as a number two driver like I feel like we've we've all just said that in the way we've spoken about Daniel Ricciardo and I don't think that's a problem he's got so much time ahead of him and he's proved himself as as a talent that means that he won't I hope, you know, in the in future, see himself lose, lose a seat. I think he, however long he stays at McLaren, hopefully a while, you know, he'll go somewhere else next because I think people have now seen what he can do. But as I said, yeah, he, he will be the second driver and Daniel has this experience and this wisdom that he can pass on. And, I, and both of them are funny guys. I think they'll get on, but I also think that they will share... Um, you know um knowledge and and understanding of the car and i think that they'll just be a really good team together and then they're both they don't seem either to either of them to me as people who would be like snotty towards each other or angsty or i mean obviously drivers on track they always race but something that was brilliant about lando and carlos is they would race on track but they would never feud off track and i think that they these two will continue with that um i don't see him scoring as many points as daniel but like he he did this season I see him being definitely up there and definitely consistent like it's it's always the car that lets Lando down if he's ever has an issue it's never really Lando um and I think that's definitely worth noting when you think of some of the other drivers and 
ways that you know dnfs have occurred he's very sensible for a young driver when many can be quite rash on track um so yeah let's see what happens and you know one day i like to think that he'll be the senior of a pairing when someone comes up from f2 or something and he'll teach them his ways but for now i think ricardo will be a great figure for him to look up to yeah it's an interesting point as well about how lando norris would compare to daniel ricardo i would just i mean obviously we might expect ricardo to go in and just swan in and straight be straight away be the number one i would make the point that i'd say the fact that the last two years lando norris has been up against a driver who obviously carlos Sainz, if you compare him to two years ago like the driver now compared to then is definitely a upper level but Lando Norris has managed to stay on pretty much on level pegging, and also because um, he outqualified uh, Carlos Sainz in the la- in Abu Dhabi, that meant that across the two years, um, I think Lando Norris won the qualifying battle twenty to eighteen. So in a in a qualifying battle against an experienced F one driver, he's come out on top, and that's definitely I definitely definitely maybe not something that I could maybe see coming. So maybe he might surprise us again. Maybe he might. Called ruffle a few feathers amongst Daniel Ricciardo, and of course, Daniel Ricciardo is coming into a new team. It might take time for him to adjust. Um, like whilst I expect, as I think we all do, that he would hit the ground running quicker than most. I still wouldn't put it past Lando Norris to cause a few maybe surprises and cause a few like headaches for his teammates in terms of being on his pace and being a being a competitor. Definitely, and I also feel as if Lando has a has a really great attitude that this year and 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 coming into next year, I think in his first year he struggled a lot with confidence and a sort of a bit of imposter syndrome, which I can't even imagine the level of imposter syndrome at that level of um, sport. But um, this 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 year he came in with a completely new attitude and like the. the first race he got podium so I, if he's if he's coming off the back of a, a season this successful how, his confidence is going to be brilliant coming into next season so who knows what he can achieve you're right I I we I say Ricardo will you know will be ahead but I'd love to see what Lando can bring and I there's definitely no reason to put him down and say he can't do that because you just don't know could could Lando be Bottas 2.0 mm. be happy second he'd be happy second <laughs> but I because I think he's got a bit more fire but then i also think he would be accepting second in the meantime knowing he'd have a career future as the number one later but i just i just had a little little look into my crystal ball and i can see i can see russell in the first mercedes and norris his right man you know his right hand man um you know norris could be the robin to russell batman I don't know, I sit, I sit, you know, I think he could, I think he's got the temperament to be able to do that. I'm afraid I Shall can't we... say that. Sorry. So this Sunday saw round 17 of this new and unique 2020 F1 Grand Prix calendar. And we were at Abu Dhabi for what was, if we're being completely honest, a rather dull affair. Uh, Angus, I, I believe you have some thoughts regarding Abu Dhabi and how we can make it better. Because to coin my, my old phrase, things can only get better at that circuit, surely. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Tom. It's, it's it, it baffles me that this circuit is used as a season-ender, um, when for many years the uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix was a season-ender. Uh, the, tight, the tight, fast, twisty track of Interlagos was the, the circuit used for the season's close, and it produced great racing. It produced, it, like, Interlagos is on those old-school tracks. It's quite undulating. It's got good overtaking opportunities. You can follow cars quite easily around there compared to other circuits. And it just provides a cracking race. And sometimes you throw in a bit of rain, you know, and it throws up an absolute classic. Um, even in the dry, throws up an absolute classic. I think last year's race when Max Verstappen won and Alex Albon almost got a podium and Pierre Gasly did get on the podium. But Abu Dhabi, for perhaps unsurprisingly, due to the, the large wads of cash that certain people there possess, um, is the season finale. So yeah, maybe the fact as well it's an evening to night race, the fact it starts during sort of the low sun and descends into a night race akin to something you see in Singapore or Bahrain. Um, those might be some of the factors why it's used. But to be honest with you, those would be the only factors because racing wise, it just it has no appeal. If we look at the track itself, it's just it is completely flat, which is boring. Um, it has two long straights, which you'd think would, you know, be good for overtaking. But then there's just a clunky second gear, like 60 mile an hour chicane in the middle of them, which just completely ruins any momentum that the cars have. 
Um, there's a tight twisty bit at the end of the second straight, which you can't really go side by side in. And coming on to the first straight as well, is just a really tight hairpin. And as, as much as there's a debate in Formula 1 about the, how easy it is for cars to follow, having a corner which is so grindingly slow at about 40 miles an hour before then expecting the cars to accelerate away the same distance apart just isn't going to work because the cars are going to be in the dirty air in that really tight corner and they're going to be struggling for grip at those t low speeds so it might i don't understand why why they do that to be honest in terms of improvements you could make i mean you could possibly in my opinion there's a there's a section of the track where you come out of turn three and you take like you take a left turn onto like a little twisty section now you could take that you could cut out the little twiddly bit where the hairpin comes in on the first straight and you just make a slightly shorter straight you still have drs there and the effect would still be there and then or even you could get rid of the chicane between the two straights and create one massive long winding straight down from the top of the circuit down all the way to what would be about turn 11. So there are chances there for the overtaking opportunities to be improved. And for many years, I feel that, that like, like they could easily have implemented these. But for some reason, they just, they just don't bother to do anything with the track. It's similar to Singapore in that well, Singapore is not as bad a case. Singapore produces good racing usually. It's a, it's a, it can be a bit of a ball fest sometimes, but generally it produces okay racing. Um, and part of that also is down to the fact it's got the really tight walls. Abu Dhabi doesn't even have tight walls. It just has really long runoff areas. It seems like they just like to rely on the fact that the race starts in the day and ends in the night. The fact that there's some really nice, bright, shiny buildings um, with some nice light patterns. The underground pit lane as well, which was supposedly going to cause a lot of drama, but it's just, it's just another pit lane, so nothing to see there. Um, so yeah, in conclusion, it's this massive rant. Uh, there are opportunities for the circuit to be improved, but they just they just haven't taken them. They could eat, they could just look at other circuits, find the characteristics of those, or even just like take little parts of the track which exist there already. Um, so yeah, it's it's very frustrating to see this track on the calendar and as a season finale, especially when there are chances for them to improve the track and maybe improve the racing. Um, but we can only hope that. Liberty Media and the FIA listened to this podcast and hopefully they'd implement those changes. But yeah, we'll have to see. God, can you imagine if they did listen to us? We decided to install sprinklers onto Abu Dhabi to um, make it more interesting. Sprinklers will be turned on random intervals. Ooh, exciting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Abu Dhabi is, is one of those horrendous races. And um, yet again, um, Sophie, my girlfriend, watched it and she went into it thinking it was going to be interesting. Um, and the only thing she could say was, Ooh, why does the, uh, why does the pit lane go underneath the track? And the answer to that is, dear listener, is because they realized they made the dullest track in the world and then went quick, we better do something mildly interesting with the flattest track to ever exist. Let's make the pit lane go under it. So, uh, that's what they did. But Abu Dhabi was so bad this year that essentially most of the overtakes came from the fact that Ferrari yet again decided to, uh, to, to use one of those magic balls to determine their, um, you know, one of the shaky magic balls to determine their strategy. You know, <laughs> shall we bring him in? It's looking like a no. Oh, right. Well, that's it then. Um, so, yeah. So <laughs> most of the overtakes came from the fact that Sebastian Vettel had no tyres and Charles Leclerc had to, you know, pit so late. I mean... Oh my god, what a crap race. It was just so boring. I mean, I didn't finish it. I must I'm I'm sorry. I didn't finish it. I went for a walk. I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to uh to painfully watch another 30 laps of of nothingness. Um to be honest, I think I think you need to overhaul it. And I I think Abu Dhabi was particularly bad this year because we went from the second race in Bahrain or even the first one, to be honest. We went Turkey, brilliant. Bahrain, incredible. Second Bahrain, emotionally, oh, you know, fueled, And then into Abu Dhabi, which essentially was just a procession of cars. Yeah, I don't know. Scrap it. Denounce Bahrain. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I do have to agree. It was pretty dull. Honestly, I kind of welcomed it. My emotions have not been able to cope <laughs> with the past few weeks. And I went, when the, like every race start now, I'm just 10 times more nervous. Um, <laughs> so I was quite relieved to just see, you know, a safe race. But yes, it was dull. Um, I think it would have been even duller if it had been a Mercedes on pole and then leading throughout. At least we saw a little bit of mix and match there. And I'm, you know, I was happy to see Max get what I would do. I literally could not believe this statistic. Only his third pole position ever. I don't know why, but it seems like he's got so much more. So anyway. Isn't it also he... his first pole to win as well? Yes. He has a hundred... uh, I think his first pole to win, like he, he was... But he was unable to get like the grand slam, which included fastest lap because Daniel Ricciardo got that at the end. Yeah, previously he had um, failed to finish from pole each time. That's crazy. It's right. So yeah, no, I I didn't hate it, but you're absolutely right. You know, out of everything we've seen, it does seem so anticlimactic compared to like the races that we've watched. And and yeah, as a track itself, pretty dull. I would say it's highly aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> which you know it's a shame that it's the case. But then you know that sort of thing is important in some ways for like sponsors and for, for the photography. Like the photographs are amazing from that track, and unfortunately, like it is an aspect that they have to consider. And obviously, as you mentioned, the money there. You know they, that's the reason they're last. But you know, I was thinking today maybe. Maybe it's last because they don't. If they finish on a super high, amazing race, we'd be extra sad that we then have to wait all these months. We've just had a rubbish race. Yeah, <laughs> no, no one's quite as sad now. <laughs> no, I don't think that's why they would do it. But I, like, I can imagine if we if we had to finish the season off the back of something like the races we'd seen in previous weeks, like the adrenaline and the the like anger that we don't get to watch a race immediately again would be a lot higher than it is right now, considering Justin went off for a walk. Um, <laughs> so. To to uh, um, summarize, I agree, but I understand why it's there, and I don't like violently hate it. Um, <laughs> I just would prefer to see something else. I'm I'm surprised you can even tolerate it. To be fair, Liv, because that was probably worse than Spain. And um, as we all remember from that episode, I was a huge uh, a Spain hater, shall we say, for for that episode. But yes, Abu Dhabi is remarkably boring, almost you know intentionally dull. It's almost like they designed it to be as dull as possible, which is quite remarkable considering they're designing a, a track for F1, which is meant to be exciting and gripping, and that's why people pay the subscription, etc. But we even saw a safety car, the first one since 2012. We're not even a safety car could could fix this race and make it more interesting and entertaining and you knew it was getting bad when uh when crofty if you're a sky sports subscriber was literally trying to pad time by saying it's just so difficult to overtake here there's just not um th that many opportunities to do that i mean when you've got one of the sort of main voices of formula one in the uk at least basically in a sort of nice uh nicest way possible stating this track is awful you've got a question really um, what's the game plan because granted Abu Dhabi will probably be on the calendar for the next 10, 15, 20 years because of, of the money that they, they pay to be on that sort of uh, season finale but why would you want to have the reputation and, and the tag of having the most boring race when you have the ability the the means the the money no doubt the people to make it a decent track like granted you're not going to make a spa overnight but why make it that dull why it's almost like they're trying to sort of you know piss us off you know what i mean yeah. outrageous outrageous do you think they'll they, they only sent out the safety car in a bid to make it mildly interesting quite possibly no, <laughs> no it was a dangerous position part, they, part they of me feels that yes car. Okay. Because, <laughs> because they did go for the virtual safety car for what seems like half a lap and was like, oh, I suppose we'll have to put a safety car out there. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, um, it didn't work. I'll summarise this section on a quote from our, from our, our beloved Kimi Raikkonen, who, when asked about the circuit in 2009 when driving Ferrari, quoted, he said this, the first few turns are quite good, but the rest of it is shit. <laughs> 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 and, that, and that sums it and up. On that, I, think. Yeah. I can't say he's wrong. Did you see um, that young driver, Alonso? Oh, he's got yeah. some potential. Well, that's happening next week. I actually have a fact about the young driver's tests that are coming up next week. Do you want to know my fact? Yeah, the average cool. age the average age in the young driver test next week is 25. Which, to be fair, like it's not as bad as I was expecting when I read there was an average age. Oh, but 
it's meant to be drivers that are not yet in F1, so we're younger than like F1 drivers, and the longest F1 drivers are about 20, so they should be younger than 20. Um, but this includes Fernando Alonso and Robert Kubica, I <laughs> both of whom are brilliant. not young. <laughs> I reckon Fernando Alonso might pick up a couple of world championships, you know. If he doesn't finish with at least two, I will eat my socks. <laughs> I don't think he will. Uh, am I right in thinking as well that the FIA said Alonso was fine to be in the young driver's test, but when yes. Ferrari said, um, can we have signs mm-hmm. driving for us, they said, absolutely yeah. not. What do you think you're doing? Yeah, they did. And they said that like, it wasn't eligible, but I think it's partly because I don't think anyone in the F in the young driver's test this year has competed in F1 this year, whereas I think because Carlos has competed this year, that's the mm. reason they gave, I think. Um, <laughs> apart from Jack Aitken, who is competing in Young Drivers, who did compete in F1 race, as we know, but that's a whole different thing. It's unusual yeah. to see um, M- Ferrari being like screwed over by the FIA. I know. So last weekend, this being the weekend of the second Bahrain Grand Prix, F2, Formula 2, the understudy to Formula 1, uh, ended. Uh, that was the conclusion of that season. And Liv, I believe you're going to be telling us now about what happened in that championship. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm going to just talk about the final couple of races, which was the final weekend in Bahrain. Really excitingly, this championship, as, I said, as I've said over and over again, show, gives us such incredible motorsport and such incredible racing. And it did really come to the last race to decide who would be champion, which is what we want to see from our sports. So absolutely, going into the final two, rain, uh, two races in Bahrain, which was on the, I think, the 5th and 6th of December, um, it was after a very, there was a long break actually. There was the race in Bahrain before that, but then before then there was months of, of a break. So it was tough for them coming back. But anyway, going into the final two races, a number of people could actually win. There was five contenders who could still snatch the title. Um, you had Schumacher, Eilat, uh, Mazepin, who I should from now on be calling Marzipan because I refuse to say his real name, Schwartzman and uh, Yuki Tsunoda. So <laughs> I'm not actually going to call him Marzipan, Marzipan because if someone if someone listens, they might think that I'm just stupid. You could always, you call him Signor Battenberg if you'd like. <laughs> no, I, I will be calling him um, uh, his real name, Mazepin, but it's said with disgust. So, um, uh, so for the first race, which is the um, fe- feature race, Yuki Tsunoda actually qualified first. So he was fifth in the championship at this time. Mazepin was just behind him in second, but Schumacher qualified in 18th and Eilat in ninth, ready for that first race. So because of that poor qualification, in order for Schumacher to win, he would have had to have come at least eighth and Eilat would have to have finished at least one place behind him. So an example would be um, if Schumacher had come third, for example, then Eilat would have had to come fifth. Um, but then if, you know, if Schumacher had come third with the fastest lap, then Callum Eilat would have had to come fourth, etc. Et so... Um, there they were there was ways that he could do it but you know it, it would have had to be a poor 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 race for Eilat and a, and a good race from 18th for Schumacher um and yeah that was it so feature race happened the main battle unfortunately was between I say unfortunately because it wasn't between the two contenders it was between Sonoda, Mazepin and Felipe Drogovic um it was actually a really really exciting battle the three of them swapped positions constantly throughout the race meanwhile Eilat and Schumacher did make up places um although Schumacher did have a really poor pit stop which is not what you want to see when you're when you're fighting for this championship and they um finished the race um Eilat in sixth and Schumacher in seventh so clearly that was not what he needed if it had been the other way around it may have just worked out depending on um you know fastest lap and things like that but Eilat was sixth Schumacher was seventh so no winner there Yuki Tsunoda though won the race brought him up from fifth in the standings to third in the standings um which is um highly significant uh considering uh who was in the audience watching him that day um he was actually congratulated after winning the race by Helmut Marco um whether that had an impact on things that to come next year we don't know but it was definitely an impressive race and it had to happen at the right time for him um Mazepin uh was second um but sorry he was third at the end of the race but he received two five second penalties for dangerous and reckless driving just one of many problems with the with the russian driver and he ended up fifth in the standings from third at the beginning of that race so a real switch for him what what a shame and then um the sprint race came about so this would be it this was the title decider honestly i was so excited that morning because it just felt like i was going to witness something really massive um and whoever won you know it would either be schumacher winning which would be absolutely incredible or eilat winning without having a seat next year what what a big moment and what what an issue it highlights in the sport, just like last year with Nick DeVries. Um, so I was really excited. Eilat, unfortunately, though, had a very, very tough ask. He would have to win the race 
like nothing better than win the race and Schumacher had to do worse than eighth. So even if, you know, even if Schumacher were to do worse than eighth, if Eilat didn't win, it, it makes no difference. So really tough for Eilat. Um, Schumacher was third on the grid, Eilat was fourth on the grid. They're, they're some of their um, competitors, Schwartzman, Sonoda and Mazepin were fifth, eighth and ninth. So close by. Um, unfortunately, I felt as if Schumacher actually was taking far too many risks in this race for someone that just needed really to finish and like obviously I lot if I lot won then they would have been a problem for Schumacher but really he, he it was his to lose he he took far too many risks um locking up multiple times and flat spotting his tires um it meant that he had to um pit and well they, they battled for a little while the two contenders actually in third and fourth but um Schumacher started going backwards he had to go in the pit and came out 20th um, huge opportunity for Eilat. Eilat was at the time, I believe, in third. So, you know, gained two places and he's, he's got the championship. Like, you can't even imagine the feeling that he must have had there. Um, but unfortunately, Sonoda then got past Eilat. It seems like his tires, tires were getting a little bit dead. Sonoda passed him and then Schwartzman passed him and he did seem to go backwards, unfortunately. Um, in the end of that race, Sonoda actually finished. <laughs> so it was definitely up there. I can't remember what place he is. Um, however, it was... Um, Jeruvala, who won, he was his first ever win in F2. Um, he's an Indian driver and he won that race. So what an exciting race to win. Um, Eilat finished 11th. <laughs> he was so close. He finished 11th and Schumacher in 18th, which meant Schumacher won. But what a dull way to win the championship from 18th, clawing back after a terrible, you know, a pit stop, a flat spot and then a pit stop. But nonetheless, he won. Um, big moment for Schumacher. He didn't think about the title or ask questions about where he was in the championship until he'd finished that race. It was very important to him. And he didn't definitely um, jump ahead until it was certain. Very emotional, very sweet. And he's definitely a great person. Um, Sonoda, um, within his incredible two performances, ended up one point off Callum Eilat in the constructors. So Schumacher had 215, Eilat 101, and Sonoda with Sorry, 101. Schumacher with 215, Eilat 201, and Yuki Sonoda with 200. So just one more place for Sonoda. Um, and yeah, he would have been second uh, in the championship, which is a big, big jump considering he was fifth in the championship just the day before. So that was the F2. It was so dramatic um, and it was so exciting. But, you know, at the end of the day, huge congratulations to Mick Schumacher. I think this was really important for him to show you know he isn't just his father's son you know he isn't just a name and you know i actually learned the other day that when he was in junior karting in the lower formulas he actually used his mother's maiden name because they were worried about the pressure and the you know what, what was be said about him of being being michael's son so he had to use his mother's maiden name for a long time before he had the courage to do so because it is extreme pressure and he did brilliantly and he's proved to people that he is worthy of moving into f1 um what a shame for Callum Eilat. Gracious, gracious um, in, in, well, I was going to say in defeat, but second is absolutely not defeat. Um, wonderful guy. What a shame he, he won't be in F1, F2 or anything next year. We'll have to see what he does, but big congratulations to him for being and just such a nice person and not, you know, and, and fighting right till the end, as I, as I just described. Um, and finally, well done to Yuki Sonoda, who lovely little jump here. We think, guys, might be in that Alpha Tauri seat next year. Do you think he will be? Yeah, mm. you know, you know, you said there with um, Schumacher Junior using his mother's main name and, and a yeah. pseudonym. Just a yeah. fun thing there, really. But the, the, it was kind of let down by the fact that Michael used to go with him to races. So like they'd be like, "Oh, look there, little boy. Hello, come into my car and I'll drive you home." He wasn't fooling anybody. Like everyone knew who he was. Um, <laughs> So, Michael having temporarily disowned so, his child. That's so weird. Hello, boy, come into my car. <laughs> but yes. But yeah, you, <laughs> sorry. Um, yes, Yuki Sonoda. Yes, he will have the AlphaTauri car. Kvyat's gone, which is a bit of a shame, really, because um, I meant to look up when Kvyat got into the sport. So, if someone could do that while I'm talking, that'd be really good. Because um, for me, he's sort of been a mainstay um, of Formula One ever, like as long as I can remember. Really, um, he's been there. I remember when he the controversy of him being chucked out of Red Bull into into Toro Rosso, and then from Toro Rosso into AlphaTauri, and he's done quite well this year, holding his own ish against Pierre Gasly. And I think Angus, you said earlier that his time to shine had had gone. You know, his star, his his misaligned themselves, and it, and it's time for a new new blood in the sport. 
in the form of Yugi Sonoda, who I'm sure will impress us all. But Callum Eilat, you know, Alex Albon didn't have a particularly slick uh, route into the sport. He came in and then, uh, and just before he got into Formula One, really, due to his personal reasons, he left the sport for a while, took a hiatus. So I don't think Callum Eilat will be forgotten. I hope he doesn't. He'll be remembered by us, at least. He can join the podcast team. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, Formula Who? Uh, F1 in Who? Anyway, um, so yeah, Yuki Sonoda, he'll do, I think he's going to do really well. I, I don't want him to get into Red Bull anytime soon because I don't want him to get Alex Albon. But I think he'll give Pierre Gasly a run for his money and it's always good to have new drivers in. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing when we, we assume Yuki Sonoda gets the seat. I think it's it looks pretty likely. Um, it's sad for Daniel Kvyat. Um, to answer your question, Tristan, he came to the sport, I believe, in 2014. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I never said I, it. Have, I never knew that. We just did three different spells in Toro Rosso. Really? He did, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. Anyway. So he made his debut in 2014 and then he got dumped um, into... Sorry, he went up to Red Bull. They got dumped back to Toro Rosso. Then lost his seat, um, then came back in 2019, I believe. Oh, or something yeah. Like that. And then now, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, he's obviously he had potential. He got he was 19 when he started, which I know Verstappen started at 17. We've had like Lance Stroll start at 18, but he was the youngest F1 driver ever, I believe, at the time. Got points on his debut. Um, but to be honest, I mean, the evidence is pretty damning against him like from previous from recent years he when he was in red bull he was beaten pretty convincingly by daniel ricardo then when he went back to toro so admittedly he was at a low point in his career but he was beaten handsomely by carlos Sainz. um and this year at, and even like the back end of last year alpha tauri he's been beaten pretty handsomely i'd say by pierre gasly so i mean it's it's sad that he'll like he'll likely be leaving the sport but i think it's only fair that they give new young drivers a chance um It'd be good to see how Sonoda gets on. Um, I believe the first Japanese driver since, I want to say, Kamui Kobayashi in like 2012. You're so probably right there. I can't think yeah. of any others. Yeah, so that, that'd be, it'd be um, good to see a Japanese driver back in the sport. But yeah, I, I am wondering, it, it, it'll be a steep learning curve for Sonoda. He's up against now an F1 race winner in Gasly um, and a driver who has firmly got his feet under the table of that AlphaTauri team. Um, but at the same time, if he shows up well against him, that will do wonders for Sonoda's reputation. Um, he's still still a young driver. Still, he's like twenty one, twenty two, or something like that. So, um, and like you said, Liv, he's shown his potential in Formula Two this year. Um, so, I mean, finishing is it finishing third in the championship in his debut year? Um, that's pretty. That's not bad. Obviously, he didn't win the championship like some drivers have done in the past. For example, George Russell and Charles Leclerc have both won the championship in their first year. But to finish third in his first year, not bad at all. So, I yeah, I can see good things coming for Snowder as long as he just keeps his head down. And he's get, he's got a tough task in front of him up against Gasly. But if he keeps his head down, I believe good things will come to him. So yeah, I hope I hope he uh, I hope it works out for him. Yeah, so Mick Schumacher going into Formula One is is awesome, really. Um, seeing the the son of uh, Michael come in and sort of try and carry on that legacy and hopefully be a great driver in his own right is exciting to see. I think it's a bit weird in my view why he's going to Haas instead of uh, Alfa Romeo. Granted, Alfa Romeo want to keep their two drivers of Giovinazzi and uh, Raikkonen, but it seems to me that the better plan would to be to put uh, Schumacher in that Alfa Romeo car, considering it's currently better than Haas, and we believe has more money uh, by the fact that uh, Haas have gone for Nikita Yazepin, and have someone like Raikkonen with him to, to mentor him and to, to, to help him uh, sort of learn his trade in in the big lead uh, big league of F1 should I say but that wasn't to be he's going to be at Haas um he's going to be given a chance with Nikita Yazepin I w- would believe he's going to be given the sort of Do you call him Yazepin not that I'm aware of but maybe <laughs> I so, thought you were doing it to be to be like I don't like him so I'm going to call him a different name and I was like yeah you, you called him you I call... agree with him anyway carry on Tom sorry thank you um, so yeah, so the fact that he's won that championship and we believe Haas are going to go and give him and Mazepin a sort of continued run together, we, we see that that's going to be a sort of multiple year deal for both of them. So it seems they're going to be given time to sort of learn their trade and, and fail and hopefully um, come good by the end of it, as is the way of Formula One. So congratulations uh, in that regard. Callum Eilat really 
it's a real shame to see the fact that he can't even compete in Formula 2 because of the financial constraints of of the sport and the fact that his talent, which is evident, uh, is not able to get him uh, that privilege and the, the sort of right he deserves to be able to race is a real shame and sort of a, a clear indictment of what's wrong uh, with Formula 2 and indeed the, the franchise as a whole. Um, but it seems that that's settled for 2021. It remains to be seen whether he can come back. Um, fingers crossed it could easily happen. Um, I believe Louis uh, Delatraz, the Haas junior driver, is 23. So, you know, his his time, Callum Eyelight, in regards to uh, his, his, his sell-by date, shall we say, is not exactly up if he takes a year out. Um, so fingers crossed on that one. And yeah, finally on to Sonoda. I've, I've made my comments somewhat clear last episode, and I don't want to go and repeat um, what I said, what I said last episode, but I am a bit concerned about uh, Sonoda going into Formula One and going into Alfa Tauri. Alfa Tauri, as we said, is not a team that's lingering at the back with Williams, Haas, and Alfa Romeo. It's a, it's a rather good team which nearly caught Ferrari um, this season, and it's been going in an upward trajectory. It's got a, it's got a lot to 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 live up to and and to stand by and. I have no doubt that Sonoda is a talented driver in himself, but when you look at people who graduate uh, into, into Formula 1, the convention seems to be you have multiple years until you win, um, or you win at first time, as, we, as we've uh, touched upon, and then you go up to Formula 1. But the fact that he's done it in, in one season and is now making that leap, adding yet another young driver to the uh, the Red Bull family, to, to Alpha Tauri, it does make me concerned that once again, Red Bull are going to do Red Bull things, burn another young driver, and he's going to be disregarded to the, to the ash heap of history. I, I hope that's not the case. But I fear once again that Alpha Tauri and Red Bull, Helmut Marco, all those that have the power uh, are making the same mistakes again. Um, and I feel that if uh, if Alpha Tauri are going to be reasonable, they need to take the Haas approach and give both uh, Pierre Gasly, who will be staying there, and um, Tsunoda, if he's picked again, the, the chance um, to, to learn their trade and to get better. Because... Let's not kid ourselves. Sonoda's not going to, I don't think anyway, burst onto the scene with Formula One and take the fight to Pierre Gasly and beat him week in, week out. But I'm just not sure if Haas, if, um, if, Haas, if uh, Alpha Tauri have the, the sort of, let's say, patience um, with a young driver. Because it, it seems bizarre because they seem to bring in lots of young drivers and then be confused why it doesn't work at the drop of a hat. But, um, but yes... I, I am concerned, but hopefully those concerns don't materialise themselves. That was a very good summary. Uh, Excellent summary. That was, yeah, I enjoyed everything. I agree Thank with much. pretty much everything you said, and I think, yeah, Schumacher, I didn't really touch upon, well, I did, but um, yeah, good for him. And um, it's a shame he has no teammate next year, but, you know, that's <laughs> that has second half seat, you know, it can just float around. Um, sorry. So on that note, I feel like we should discuss. Um, unfortunately, he does have a teammate next year. Um, and unfortunately, it is not Callum Eyelight. We have been robbed. I mean, I felt we had been robbed of that, that partnership before I knew quite what an idiot uh, Nikita Mazepin was. And now I feel even more robbed and even more angry that we've discussed it time and time and time again, that money rules all in this sport and it's disgusting. Um, and I'm sorry, I just made me so angry. Go, and go, 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 go. I'm going to go. And obviously the reason that is, if you didn't see last week, I, it was it was after we'd actually done our day or so after we'd done our last podcast episode so if you wondered last week when it was released why we didn't mention it that was wasn't the case that we were ignoring the, the issue but it was because we hadn't discussed it at the time of recording um but it was i'm pretty sure it's tuesday night so wednesday morning we were all disgusted to see a video that nikita masbin had posted on his social media of him inappropriately touching a i was going to say a female friend we don't even think that's the case to be honest a female in the back of a car she did look uncomfortable at the time uh, whether she was uncomfortable or not was not is not a point the point uh the, it was very very disgusting behavior and the fact that he posted it as well you know this this behavior shouldn't happen at all but then posting it on social media acting like you're some sort of big man is absolutely disgusting so i thought for us today i would summarize all the reasons why he does not deserve to you know have a following of any kind whether it be as an in an f1 seat or as a lower formula driver or as a human being um <laughs> so starting off with one we've um 
we knew about before um, in 2016, he did punch Calamilo. The irony I absolutely hate because obviously now he's now stolen a seat that was destined for Calamilo, and he did punch him back in 2016 at the European F3. Um, he has contacted many female fans on social media and sent highly inappropriate messages um, requesting for um, explicit images and then when they refused saying they were a quote fangirl playing hard to get. Um, this has occurred for multiple young women on on social media um, and in recent months as well. We're not talking years ago, but you know, you know, a lot of the time when these sort of things come out, they go, oh, well, it was such a long time ago. I've grown as a person. These events happened in November, so last month. Um, and also, we we also mentioned he posted a while back, one year since a guy in Wuhan ate a bat. That was the quote that he said when he was discussing a year since COVID-19 began. Highly insensitive and culturally inappropriate. Um, there was then a comment on one of his um, Instagrams at some point. Someone posted some words that were highly culturally, culturally inappropriate towards Yuki Sonoda. And Mazepin replied with laughing emojis to that comment, um, suggesting he agreed with the words written and thought they were funny. Um, he also threatened on an Instagram live that George Russell did once that he would out George Russell, uh, suggesting homophobia and also even if it wasn't the case, like even if it, you know, we don't know the story behind that. But the fact is that if he believed that that was the case with George Russell, the fact that he would dare mention outing someone, this is... Uh, it's absolutely vile like that's one of the worst things you can do to someone who's struggling with their sexuality so whether it's relevant or not but the fact he was threatening to do that is absolutely vile um he then this is some stuff that i recently learned he held a lavish party on a regional day of mourning after nine people were killed at one of his father's mines so i knew that he was had a party on, on a morning day but i didn't really understand what it was about so basically nine people were killed at one of the mines that his father owns so, so one of you know probably corrupt um <laughs> uh, nine people were killed and the whole region decided to hold a day of mourning for these people who died and he held a lavish party with multiple russian influencers and posted all about it on social media he has had received multiple penalties from the FIA for reckless and dangerous driving. Aside from that punching Callum in 2016, he, as I mentioned earlier, he's already received two five-second penalties just last weekend for dangerous driving, pushing people towards the wall, you know, that, that could kill someone. He's a very dangerous driver. And then obviously, finally, we had this recent event last week um, with the sexual assault of a young woman. And the way people, you know, the way his well that it was dealt with, um, it felt to me his apology was only really expressing um sort of madness uh you know disappointment at being caught to be honest he it wasn't did not apologize for his actions he actually wrote that he felt that it was you know he was held to a higher standard he should hold himself to a higher standard because he's an f1 driver he is absolutely wrong he should hold himself to the standard of a basic human being and someone that doesn't disrespect people um i'm personally very angry at the fact that you know clearly now we've we can see that nothing's going to happen uh within Haas or the fia for this and it's it is upsetting because obviously that this is a really bad precedent to set in a sport that is already highly highly male dominant it's a really difficult situation for all the women who are currently working in the sport and i do feel for them because they i feel as if they would never have the support if they did come out with a similar story if we know that this is what how they've dealt with something as major as this um he's never gonna learn he just he seems to be someone who has never had suffered consequences for his actions so i'm sure these things will happen again um, and it, yeah, it's highly disappointing. And I, I like the only positive, you know, out of all of this happening is that now everyone knows what a human being that he is. And I really, I'm, I'm certain that next year there's going to be so much hate for him, race after race, by commentary teams, by press, by social media, by other drivers. No one likes the man. Press, you know, last weekend people were refusing, you know, with the commentators were calling him, you know, these a horrible person, a thug. And um, some commentators I heard in Spain were, were <laughs> saying that, like I just said earlier, that uh, the Haas had not, <laughs> had not yet decided who their second driver was because they refused to admit that he had the seat. So I'm sorry for ranting, but clearly, you know, as a, as a woman in, in barely in motorsport, but slightly in motorsport, I feel as if I'm quite disappointed about this occurring. And um, unfortunately, it is the case um, for many women in the sport. And this woman, and this woman wasn't even in the sport, but she was suffered the consequences of a man that is and is led by money. So sorry about that. But I'd love to know what you guys think. I'm sure it's very similar to what I think. I'm just aware of time and how everyone's been 
will be listening to us quiet for nearly an hour by this point. My 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 reactions to Mazepin is he shouldn't be an F1 because it's supposed to be the top end of a sport. And that doesn't just mean you're the best. It shouldn't. It also means that you you hold yourself to the highest level of sportsmanship and you become an example to those looking up at you. And um, Nikita Mazepin, or as um, I like to refer to him a little bit as a evil Humpty Dumpty, um, he has clearly shown that he is not of the right calibre to be in the top sport earning that much money, not that he needs it, but still the point, and representing a team that is part of a wider organisation um, that promotes equality and, as they say, standing as one. So I think it would be in Hass's best interest to politely split with Mazepin, pick up someone like Callum Eilat instead, and demonstrate to us, the fans, that they're willing to hold their drivers directly accountable of their actions. And I think I think there's no more I need to say on the matter. I think Mazepin's actions have been disgusting, both on the sport and outside of it. And I'm not going to grace him with any more of my thoughts, you know, anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute disaster uh, for the sports. It's a disaster for Haas. Um, it's a disaster for the whole motor, the whole motorsports um, of Formula One, two and three. To be fair, the fact that this guy has been able to basically pay his way um, to the top, insofar he's been able to get a, a seat through, let's say, some talent granted, but a lot of it through money and and the fact that this sort of conduct has just been brushed on the carpet and been ignored for so long, and there's been no repercussions. Um, says a lot really about those uh, who are in charge of him and indeed in charge of the sport more generally. And, I mean, what does this say about Haas, really? In my mind, it shows them to be morally bankrupt and only considerate about the money that will keep them afloat. They've, They've almost done a deal with the devil in many regards, and now they're getting the repercussions for that. The the bad press for them is going to be off the scale. I think you'd see a huge boycott of them sort of internally and externally if there's not a sort of a serious uh, repercussion or, or sanction for what he's been doing uh, recently, uh, Mazepin. But it remains to be seen what, what will be done because we know this will be conducted internally um, from Gundersteiner, Gene Haas and, and everyone involved, but we won't really know if there's been any serious repercussions for this action unless he's completely stripped of, of the seats which I just can't see happening insofar that he's been given a multi-year contract, he brings in so much money, it's clear that he's been brought in to keep Haas afloat, otherwise they would have brought in Arlott, surely. Um, so Haas's hands are tied, and they've they've ended up with, with egg on their face, to say the least, and w- what a mess, just 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 what a mess. Uh, yeah, I've got to agree with you all, really. The, I mean... Where do we start? I'm just looking at his um, on his Wikipedia page, looking at his racing record, and the only thing that stands out came second in GP3 in 2018. But that's the only thing that stands out really. So he's definitely not in the sport on merit. Um, and yeah, like like we've all said, his his actions just. I mean, the list you read out, Liv, is just it's ridiculous how how much like bad he's done already in his in his short life and just. All the sort of the dumb things he's done, all the inappropriate things he's done, some of the creepy things he's done. Um, like I don't know how someone with that behaviour or that type of mindset is anywhere near Formula One seat other than his money. Um, it's ridiculous. If, if Haas had any, if they had anything about them, they would have sacked him. They 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 would just get rid of him. Why would you want to associate with a guy who puts himself about like that and does actions like that? The the so the woman who came out in the um, who was in the video actually came out um, and said, "Oh, um, don't worry, Nikita's just a friend of mine. We always joke about like that." But 
that makes you think, why Why would you joke about, about that stuff? That's joking. You're joking also, about groping someone. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, you know I'm angsty at the moment. Um, <laughs> also, she, she said, oh, yeah, we're good friends. But at the time of posting that statement, they'd never followed each other on any piece of social media. And then when they got called out on it, they quickly followed each other, which suggests to me they were not already good friends. And she was told to write that. Like, obviously, I don't know. I'm just making, you know, guesses here. But I'd just like it known that they pretend that it they said they were friends but didn't follow each other on any form of social media until it was pointed out by people going uh how are you even friends and then they quickly followed each other please continue yeah is it i mean there you go it's just it, it's just such oh i can't even if like i said if i said anything about them they would just disassociate themselves from the guy um the only reason he's there is because there's money the absolute complete irony the horrendous irony of formula one um I'm gonna gonna call out Formula One here, saying that saying that we're having the slogan we, we race as one, and having the sort of the the aim and of having an ethos of including everybody, and standing up against any disgraceful behaviour, any discrimination, any inappropriate actions, um, and it should, they they need to realise that doesn't just include racism. Of course, countering racism, and it's it's great to see they're taking a stand this year with the. The, the taking the knee before the the races the the black lives matter videos um, the endorsed further endorsement of that movement but they also need to realize it extends generally you can't have races in countries where human rights are infringed upon regularly such as bahrain such as russia such as azerbaijan adding a race in saudi arabia as well just the elements of hypo- hypocrisy are ridiculous and then having a driver who you could easily dis- distance yourself from. We've had the whole, in the last four or five years, we've had the Me Too movement sweeping across the world and powerful figures such as Harvey Weinstein, that's the, the one that obviously comes to mind, being completely and deservedly being removed from their position of power. The obvious example, which kind of started the whole thing, being um, Harvey Weinstein. And whilst what we know of what Maspin has done is nowhere near as horrendous as what harvey weinstein did just basic decency and inappropriate actions like Mazpin has done they need to have consequences and he can't be allowed to get away with this um he he should he should, he should, just, he should be sacked for what he's done and it's not it's not just this instant it's what he's done throughout the years um like it, it honestly beggars belief and i can genuinely see this guy because of his money having a, a an actual quite a long career in formula one we saw it with um, Pastor Maldonado, who, yes, on his day, had flashes of speed. But let's be honest, he just brought money and had not much talent. Mazepin is exactly the same, except he's also a despicable human being. But I can still see, because of the money he brings, him having a, a decent career, like four or five years. And also the fact that he's got this multi-year contract at Haas. Um, looks like he's here to stay, sadly, um, which I like. it baffles me, honestly. Um, like, yeah, this, I mean, this guy, honestly, it just, it's ridiculous that he's got a seat. And to be honest with you, I hope that one of either Haas, or Haas at the moment, Gunstein said they're dealing with it internally um, and that he wasn't going to reveal, I mean, it's fair enough he doesn't want to reveal the internal action that might take place because it's internal, you know, it's, it's Haas's business. But I think it's Formula One's business to find out what their action is going to be. Um, I wish they had the bollocks to sack him um, because his actions have been disgraceful, but I fear that they won't they won't be able to grow said pair of bollocks and do that. Um, but yeah, I, d- I don't want to go on for too long or else I'll just, I'll, I'll go, just keep going. But yeah. And so ends episode 22 of F1 in Review, the final episode where we'll be reviewing a race. And in this episode, we've spoken about McLaren. They were able to clinch that third place in the Constructors' Championship by a mere seven points after the performances of Carlos Sainz and Norris and the failure of Perez's car and that ultimately they were able to do just enough to get those millions of pounds that will no doubt see them good for the next few years. We've spoken about McLaren and how the future is looking incredibly bright. A Mercedes engine coming in next year as well as Daniel Ricciardo. Could we see McLaren get back to the uh, to the front of the grid and competing with Red Bull, with Mercedes and Ferrari if they're able to get back up there in a few years time? That will be an interesting one 
to see. Uh, secondly, we've spoken very briefly about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix Round 17, the concluding race of this unique 2020 season. And to put it plainly, we spoke briefly because there wasn't much to say. The first safety car since 2012 did all it could to create uh, some nice, exciting racing. But in the end, there was no Takar in that department. No tasty fights uh, for, the, for the race win. And it was very much a procession. We've spoken about how we could perhaps improve that circuit. Or whether or not having a sort of more mellow and or dull circuit to conclude the season can actually be a good thing in a disguise and thirdly we've spoken about F2 F2 ended uh, the week before so the weekend of the Bahrain or the second Bahrain Grand Prix should I say and, and the fact that Mick Schumacher who finished uh, first after a hectic race will be racing for Haas F1 uh, alongside Nikita Mazepin We've spoken about him in a, in a great deal of detail and his uh, off-track escapades and activity, which is raised to my brows, to say the very least. Has to say there will be internal uh, investigations regarding his recent conduct and his activity online and the videos he's been posting, but it remains to be seen whether he will be reprimanded, removed, retained, what will happen. I guess only time will tell on that one. And for all those people wondering, well, the season's ended, what will come next? We've decided together that we will do another episode or two reviewing the season as a whole. F1 in Review will be reviewing a season uh, in its entirety, the winners and losers, the, the, the best and the worst, the good moments or the bad moments. And that will be coming to you either next week or the week after whenever we can, uh, we can conjure the time up to do that. But uh, stay tuned for that one. Thank you very much for, for listening uh, until the end of this episode and indeed any episodes you've listened to before and we'll see you in episode 23 this isn't the end of F1 in review it's only a minor pause till the next season it all kicks off again oh yeah it'll be like EastEnders where there's never been there's always just been one season <laughs> like they've never stopped <laughs> that's <laughs> good I like that yeah <laughs>